0: They find it inspiring that they might not have to walk the path that they thought they had to walk because it was the path that is the easiest in front of them or the ones that they were told to walk. But you know what? You can actually go off your path, see what's around you, be inspired and make choices based upon that. And I think that when you do that, you touch people in a different way.
1: This is Tell Me What to Say, and this is Drew Kugler. I've been very fortunate. Very fortunate, both in my day-to-day work and on this podcast, to explore a variety of issues and guests' occupations from a whole wide variety of industries. Just to name a few, technology, medicine, creative arts, food service. The list, I promise, will continue to diversify as we go. At the same time that I enjoy the diversity, I also remain struck by the absolute consistency of patterns that I hear, and hopefully you will hear, as we think about these different guests. Take, for example, today's guest. Andrea Lieberman is the Chief Creative Officer of ALC. Andrea Lieberman Clothing. And what a range of thoughts you will hear from her today. Where her design inspirations were first fostered. How fashion has a special role in reflecting culture in very diverse ways. Listen to how Andrea articulates her path to fame, influenced by one conversation and one relationship at a time. I hope you find her, as I do, to be gifted, caring, and charismatic. Let's see what you think when you listen to my conversation with Andrea Lieberman. The first question that I ask everybody, and, and I'll, I'll remind you why after I ask you, mm-hmm. is when you were a little kid, mm-hmm. what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: Do you have a recollection of that? I do.
0: I have two very um, deep recollections of what I wanted to be.
1: I'd love to hear them both.
0: Uh, one of which was an artist.
1: Hmm. I always
0: wanted to be an I loved crafty things. I remember specifically in sixth grade, there was this, um, like, what do you call it? Like AP when it's more, you know, advanced placement, right? An right. AP art class that I couldn't get into, I was devastated. Um, But eventually somehow I managed to get into it, and um, we did a lot of, um, one of my favorite things that I did was this kind of loom project. And we were looming these yarns, and then I loomed feathers, and I figured out a way to loom my initials. And um, I always wanted to do something creative, but I also loved, Ancient Egyptian history. And and then at one point I wanted to be an archaeologist with a toothbrush in the desert in Egypt, and I built this massive temple of Queen Hatshepsut, Queen Hatshepsut's temple out of balsa wood, and I really just loved the story and the drama and the history and the culture and the the all of the myths and the goddesses and, and gods behind ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. So I really was super focused in that. And then probably at about 13, I discovered fashion and that was it.
1: And that was it. Yeah. So as you will see as, as a listener to the show, you'll see who in, the, in the, the guide to this, whether it's on iTunes or wherever you're picking this up, mm. I'm, I'm talking to Andrea Lieberman, um, who is a... Uh, you know, complete disclosure is a, a client of mine. Uh, I also consider her a good friend, um, as most of the people so far have been so nice to, to be on this show. Um, Andrea, as you can see by going to ALCLTD.com, uh, is um, a renowned uh, designer of women's clothing. Uh, what I think of as cool and attractive clothing, to say the least. Um, And I found out about her um, even before I met her when I told my girls that uh, there was a chance I was going to meet her. Uh, They were so excited. Uh, They were more excited than I was about getting possible business. They were excited that I was going to actually get to meet uh, the person who created ALC. So that backstory uh, is important as I now turn back to Andrea and talk about what happened as you found fashion in what grade was that when did um, you um
0: I think it was uh, eighth grade eighth grade
1: eighth grade eighth grade <laughs> yeah, but what's definitely. what's interesting about hearing <laughs> the two stories about the about the 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 Egyptian history interest and the artistry is they both involved creation mm. right mm-hmm. creating something I'm mm-hmm. sure that's not stunning to either you or the listener to hear that but I'm curious if you can keep us on the story about um, how you took what you were initially interested in, then it turned into fashion and somewhat fast forwarding through it, but how did you end up creating what you've created?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's um, a lot of years and a long story, (laughs) (laughs) but really um, um, interesting to look at it in that way. Um, So I guess early, in the early years, um, it was more about discovery. You know, it's so, um, intuitive what you become interested in as a child, you're drawn to stuff for no other reason that it speaks to you in, and it speaks to your spirit and perhaps what you see around your family and, And so I I don't know any other explanation for that. I really just liked it. And I found it quite interesting. And as a child, those things excited me. When I ended up getting interested in fashion, we had moved from upstate New York to New York City. It was a little bit of a crazy, tumultuous time in my life because my parents were getting divorced. And so I was all of a sudden at this crazy age of 13, which is really in the best of times, a unsettling age to be Mm -hmm. as a young girl, young woman. And so we moved to New York and it was really a time for me that was exciting because I was able to redefine myself. And I think that to have the understanding of knowing, I always knew this one thing at that point. I knew that where I grew up, a lot of people were interested in hanging out, getting drunk or it was the seventies. And so people were kind of, it was the seventies in the, in, in, in the country, in the suburbs and people were hanging out and they weren't really that culturally aware, but I was always interested in culture from an early age and, and the differences in people and where they grew up and religions and cultures and all matter of one. So for me, I, I remember being so excited. I remembered knowing that, There was so much more for me than the life I was living at that point. And Mm -hmm. so for me, moving to New York was a cultural eye-opener. It was, I got to go to museums. I got to go to a private school where I knew that I would have a different level of focus from my teachers. It was just, I was excited about the cultural shift that I was about to, this journey that I was about to embark on.
1: So... So because the rough outline of the show is about the notion of how conversations uh, turn and affect our lives for good or for bad, with as clear a recollection as you seem to have of those times Mm. and the excitement and the energy and the opportunities, did things start to change for you in how you interacted with people? Right. You came from upstate New York and you end up in the city. Yeah. Did it it change at all how you how you saw and interacted with others, whether friends, family, um, people you met?
0: I think it was just an odd time. I think there was so much change in my life at that time. And I think that both from moving to family divorce, to new school, to A whole bunch of new friends. I think for me at that point, I was looking for an anchor and I was looking for this opportunity to really connect to people and to connect to the, to sort of what I always consider my tribe. And I consider it now my tribe, people that are like-minded, that are attracted to the same things that, that, that are able to share commonalities that might not just be from a religious or a family or a, you know, uh, sort of birthplace, but, Mm -hmm. you know, really kind of more of a, you know, inspirational place, if you will. Mm. So I think that for me, yeah, I definitely found people that I felt connected with. And, you know, in many cases, they weren't in school. In many cases, they were out of school. I remember part of what, part of where I all of a sudden became interested in fashion was because I went to school, on 71st street between 5th and Madison. And I would walk to school every day past all these great stores and started to go in and started to talk to salespeople and started to ask them questions. And, and that's where all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this is really nice. And, Mm. and I, I, I saw people and connected with people in these stores that really were able to define their themselves and their personal style in ways that were so unique to them, especially in the eighties where, you know, it was all, it was really kind of fashion really started. There was this whole influx of fashion from Japan and this whole it, it sort of, there were just a lot of things from a fashion standpoint going on. And, and so I guess if you think about it from a conversational standpoint, it really was for me two things, talking to people that I had just met in stores and being inspired by them Mm -hmm. and seeing that there's this whole other life as well as talking to people, you know, having more communication with people from my school and, and art teachers mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, heads of school or just certain teachers that I connected with that you know, saw that I was hungry for something and suggested, hey, why don't you go to Parsons and why don't you do this and why don't you do that and maybe you wanna take this extra art class. So definitely I think that was helpful yeah. to me.
1: So let's, let's talk about school for a second. Uh, so there you are at that at that school at 71st between Fifth and Madison. Mm, mm-hmm. um, do you uh, do you remember if you had to pick, which I'm going to ask you to, mm. um, the most influential teacher? Because mm. I always ask this question to mm-hmm. people. I have this this connection. If you want to think about being a better leader, you sh- it is all. And we've talked about this. You really you really somewhat need to take on the mindset of a great teacher, Mm. right? Because it really isn't about you. It's about others and influencing people's thinking. So to you, is there a teacher that sticks out either then, uh, or maybe a little past that, that had those kinds of conversations with you and what was it about him or her?
0: I mean, To be in full disclosure, Mm -hmm. I was a really bad student Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I did not like school very much, but I definitely was, you know, at times there were one or two teachers I connect with. One of which, um, was my art teacher, Miss Sloshberg, um, who is the sister of
1: the Schlossberg, the uh, the Kennedy thing. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. But she also went to school with my mom. Okay. So it was a very, you know, she was just really, um, supportive mm-hmm. and I just loved her class cause it was art class. Was art. So I right. loved that. And then I had, um, I can't even remember her name. My, um, English teacher, uh, you know, oftentimes things came through in stories that, you know, when I had to write stories. You right. call them stories, right? right, right. I don't even yeah. know. I'm so not to like, write stuff. I right. <laughs> had to write stuff right. in my personal writings. Right. And so she oftentimes would call me in and want to have conversation with me. I suppose I had the most conversation with her um, because it was really a lot of times out of, you know, I, look, an full disclosure. Like I always got in trouble in school. Right. Yeah. So when I, you know, but we spoke about the troubles that I had and we spoke about, um, when there were things in the stories that felt, you know, troubling to her and that she thought that I obviously had some deep thoughts on my mind that we needed to talk about. And she was pretty, Helpful to me when I think about it, and in
1: pulling, in helping you. Yeah, I have to remember her
0: name. It's um, my memories. That's all right.
1: Schlossberg is a hard name to forget. I so
0: yeah. It's yes.
1: So, what was speaking of conversations about bad things? Mm. um, Is there a memory that you can share about, like you said, you misbehaved in high school, right? And she had talks with you. What would be? Was it something radical, or was it just not showing up to class? Or
0: I mean, what was
1: the the things that kept
0: you? I just out of always got in a lot of trouble. I got in trouble for not being in dress code. I got in trouble for not doing my homework. I got in trouble because I used to have these like crazy hair extensions, and they didn't understand what it was. And right. when I showed up with like basically dreadlocks. And right. <laughs> My mom's like pulling my hair, like you can take the wig off. I'm like, no, mom, you understand it doesn't come off. (laughs) So, you know, they were oftentimes rewriting dress codes for me. That was always a big one. There was always addendum to the dress codes because of me. Um, And just really super highly personal things about, you know, um, whether it was about a girl I wrote one story about a girl who wanted to kill herself. And even though it wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do, I was going through a lot of stuff at the time in my family uh, with my parents' divorce, which really was just heartbreaking. Sure. So at that time, my teacher suggested that I she saw this. So she's obviously thinking, you know, it was a cry for help, which in many ways it probably was. And so then she connected me to a therapist. And so then I first started going to a therapist. therapist. Uh, so then that was conversation, which was awesome. Wow, right. we are going deep. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Well, but 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 I can't help but connect your uh, hair extensions to where you are now. Mm. Right in terms of if anyone looks at uh, chooses to look or is familiar with your brand at all, it has an edge to it. It has uh, a lot of stuff that people are, I guess, would need to rewrite a little dress code for, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, do you see do you, is that a like a that's not, I'm sure, an amazing insight to you, but, but do you ever tie these things together? As I'm As we're doing here.
0: I mean, I guess in many ways, if I were to dig deep, I wouldn't have tied that together. But I appreciate and so um, love the way you see things. So, yeah, I guess I would tie it together in that way. Um, I see a lot of things that from an early standpoint in my, from an early time in my life that I've gotten excited about or been drawn to that is that I'm consistently drawn to, whether it's, you know, a specific music or a specific, you know, length of dress or a specific color or a specific silhouette or a specific shoe or sneaker or whatever it is. I definitely feel that there is, um, there are things that start early and become the foundation of what you relate to Got in it. many ways. Got it. But I've always been, I've always just liked to do things my way, mm. and that is very a common theme in my life, good and bad.
1: Right, <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, but I just um, and I've been always one of the val- one of the core values of of the company is think how you can. And so I've just always thought that way and I've always done things my way in basically. So yeah, so I did things my way then and I still do things my way. And I've always like, if everybody's running to the right, I'm going to the left and it just is human nature to me.
1: Yeah. So let's come to present day then and keep that in mind. How does Um, taking things and going in the way that you want to go, how does that... I'm going to give you a two-part question here, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How does that serve you well in what you're trying to bring to the world? And how does it get in the way?
0: Doing things my way, how does it serve? Okay. Um, I think... I think doing things my way serves the world in, well, it serves my world because I think that, you know, I just, I'm creating the path and the journey that feels authentic to both myself and, you know, as it relates to the company, the brand, and as it relates to the people around me, I think that. A lot of the people in the organization are able to see things from a different point of view that they might not have seen. And I think that for a lot of the certainly some of the younger girls and boys that work with us. Uh, you know, they find it quite inspiring. They find it inspiring that they might not have to walk the path that they thought they had to walk because it was the path that is the easiest in front of them or the ones that they were told to walk. But you know what? You can actually go off your path, see what's around you, be inspired and make choices based upon that. And I think that it is, I think that when you do that, you touch people in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think that when you do that, you're able to relate to people. You meet people that you wouldn't have necessarily met that are so those relationships can be so inspiring and fulfilling. Mutually, it's mm-hmm. a mutually inspiring, and fulfilling relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're able to just have experiences that are that constitute real life. Yep. And the right. challenges are yeah. that How you can piss people off a right. lot because right. it's more work. It's mm-hmm. more challenging. You're asking people to think in different ways, which can be, which sometimes people just don't want to do. You're asking things, you you challenge people in their, their thought process and you challenge people in many ways in the way that they were taught and you challenge people in, It just it's a challenge and and i think that people just it could be scary for them mm-hmm. it can be annoying it could be more work and it's something that some people when they don't understand something it it, it they just it, it, they fight it mm-hmm. as opposed to embrace it and as opposed to learning new things new ways new situations
1: mm-hmm. so when you see the fight And you see the resistance Mm. to your, we'll call it just generically vision, Mm. right? Of what you're trying to create. Mm. And you know deep down, way past your heart, that it's the right way to go. And it is that unique expression of you, Mm. right? That has been following you your whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you do to try to help people understand And, and, and keep going? rather than give up?
0: Well, I think there are times that you can have a head on conversation in a kind way, because I mean, conversation is everything and it's something obviously that I've learned from you that I'm so grateful for. It has, you know, added so much value to my personal relationships and, the business at large. I think that you need to, for me, that I go into conversation and, and I say, I understand this could be a tough conversation or I, you know, I just try and approach it in a way that I am engaging them to understand my point of view, to ask the questions that they need to, to me and to, to, ask them questions that will lead them down the path piece by piece. Mm -hmm. And there are some times that it just doesn't work and you need to let them, you need to let them go and learn by experience Mm -hmm. and then, you know, come back around and have, you know, a postmortem as you would call Mm -hmm. it. So there are times that conversation and, you know, asking and offering trust between two people. I I understand that this is how you think it's best. And I appreciate that. And let's look at it from this way. So why don't we do a little bit your way and a little bit this way and work it out. Or you say, okay, if that's how you, what you believe in, I believe in you go. And sometimes they have to learn by Kind of doing it, mm-hmm. um, and there's that postmortem. But most of the time, it is really in conversation and and going deep and and but a very respectful conversation.
1: Yeah, that's good. So, so you're able. Do you think, if as a self-assessment, um, this notion of the respectful conversation, uh, it 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 has treated you pretty well at at your company?
0: I think when I am able to rise to that occasion, it definitely treats me well. I think that hard conversations are hard. Right. that's true. I mean, the hard conversations are challenging and you need to stand up and be a big person and... You know, I always call it manning up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like sometimes you just have to man up and just have that conversation. But at the outcome always feels so much better than go. Then the lack of clarity and the lack of alignment prior to. So, yes, those conversations treat me very well. Uh, you know, obviously, in any situation, in any business, there are challenges and the challenges are that life gets in the way. And so it's understanding all the time that, you know, there's that balance. It's, you know, not letting life get in the way, not letting, oh my God, we've got too much work. We've got deadlines. We've got this, we've got that. There's never, you know, there's never a good time. Understanding there's never a good time to have these conversations, but the conversations are important and, and I have had a lot of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, sometimes things work out, or sometimes you actually come to the conclusion that it might not work out between the two of you. And so, you know, that that conclusion is that that it's not the right fit, right. or that you are in such disagreement in the way you see what the road ahead looks like that you actually have to take two different roads. Yep. But you have to get there because you need to be aligned with people and you need to be communicative in order to grow and do the, do the work that's important.
1: Right. And that, that creates the ultimate irony in what you're saying, because you started by saying it's about your, you know, your view, Mm -hmm. right? Which you are, are proud of and have developed and has been successful. But at the end of your story, you end up with, it's about connecting with others. So oh, yeah. that becomes the grand dilemma is how do you stay true to your, this is just more of what I'm wondering, mm-hmm. right? As I think, especially in working with people like you, it's always about the, the energy behind your vision, but also the fact that you can't do it by yourself.
0: No, right? I mean, it is all about the team. And I never say, especially as it comes to the company and ALC and, and our work there, it's never a, I did this, it's always a we a hundred percent. And the team is unbelievable. And, and there's a lot of pressures that we face mm-hmm. on the daily business is hard. Yep. It just, it is, it's not. And of all the businesses that one could choose to go into, this is not one of the easy right. ones, Right. but we all chose it and we're all here for a reason. And so, yes, we need to be aligned. And I think that as I, as I, get more and more into the role of leadership within the company and I have more of these conversations. The interesting outcome of all of these conversations that I have, that we have together is that they are hard, but the growth is for everybody. I grow as much in a conversation and I feel... So like I have gained so much from these challenging conversation conversations as much as the person that I'm conversating mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So it is this mutual growth experience that is uplifting and healing at the same time. Right. And aligning
1: mm-hmm. is there,
0: you're sort of like more in alignment. You feel Better because you finally were able to get whatever, you were able to rip the Band-Aid off in whatever way, shape, or form you were ripping off the Band-Aid. And so you, there's like a release, there's an understanding, and there's a growth all from this conversation that is that is beneficial to whomever is in the conversation. Exactly.
1: So one qu- more question about conversations, and then I want to ask you about an even tougher leadership challenge, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll begin to conclude there. Um, one more question about hard conversations. If you had to point, think through one of those conversations.
0: Okay. I have to think.
1: What's the hardest part of the hard conversation?
0: Oh, just getting in the room and psyching yourself up for it. Yeah. It's the hardest part. I think that it is never easy to have a hard conversation. And I think that overcoming the initial, um, Overcoming the initial mental, personal mental block
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the hesitation of wanting to just jump in, jump in the deep end is the biggest challenge. Yep. And then sometimes when you jump in and you kind of feel like you're drowning and you gotta like right. get somewhere, Swim. that could be a little tricky. Right. But um, you know, when somebody's looking at you like deer in a headlight, yep. <laughs> um but but i think once the conversation gets going and people feel free and open to open up then all of a sudden you know you start to get somewhere right so i think for me uh, the anticipation of the conversation is the biggest challenge
1: it's the hardest part yeah and i i, I in all the years and all the people that i've talked to about taking that leap i've never been able to lessen the difficulty Of the mental side of it. What you just described, the anticipation, is all in your head. It is not your head, anybody's head. And it is simply getting people to accept that, look it squarely in the eye and jump, that you ever, ever get to what we would call the easier part. Mm -hmm. And the part, as you said, that brings so much benefit.
0: A hundred percent. I also think that, you know, we are very we're high. In specifically at, at ALC, it's a highly creative company, so you've got a lot of emotion and you've got a lot of creative people that pour a lot of their. You know, we're not kind of filling out spreadsheets. Right. We are really giving a piece of our soul and our spirit into what we do. So you're dealing with people that are raw with this creative energy, and so you're the anticipation of jumping into a a tough conversation with a very emotional, raw, creative person is like level 10. It's that much much harder, right,
1: right. But probably because of that raw emotion, I'm assuming from watching a little bit of what goes on on the floor in, in, in your place and in some other places, there are therefore more opportunities created to have these hard or the necessity Mm. because of that emotion bouncing around Mm. off those walls. Mm -hmm. So you have to either get better at it or you really sink.
0: A hundred percent. And you know, the interesting thing that I find, especially with the challenge of the business and the conversations and, you know, this conversation about growth, not only personal, but also business growth as the company grows, the roles change. And as the roles change, it's sort, of, it's, it's, it's sort of everything is relative. Yep. So if my role changed, then somebody else's role near me, near, you know, around me changes. So I'm getting used to this role. They're getting used to that role. And so the conversations also are always evolving and changing, mm-hmm. whereas it might have been a different conversation a year ago than it is today. And the things that we are focused on should be different than they were a year ago in many ways. Yep. So so conversations are constantly changing. And I think that also has been a bit of a challenge within the concept of conversation is, well, last year, this is what we spoke about. And this right. is what your feelings were last year. And I'm like, well, this year, the business is here and this is where we're at. So maybe we should think about it from this point of view. And so um, yeah, that is interesting to Makes a
1: difference. Yeah. All right, the toughest leadership challenge. It's time for the only curveball I'll throw you. Oh, no. um, the, the, the hardest, at least speaking for myself, the hardest leadership job I have is of my two daughters. Mm. Um, uh, all the good and all the bad, all the intensity, all the emotion, everything you've talked mm-hmm. about. So do you find yourself being different at work than you do? You have two children.
0: Oh, yeah. Right.
1: Younger <laughs> than 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 my girls. Yes. But still um, talk a little bit about conversations in kids.
0: That's kids. hard. I will say I'm definitely it's something that I've been focused on. It's a different conversation. A, when you ask them a question, they don't have to answer you. <laughs> I mean, right there. It's like, you know, they're allowed to answer you in one word questions, Mm -hmm. whereas perhaps at work in a different environment, it's more of a conversation. It's challenging. I I mean, it is really challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially it's challenging as a working mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it's but the same rules apply if you are able to sit down in an honest and healthy way and connect with them, then you get more like a higher level of communication. But when you're, when you're screaming at them or not even screaming at them, but like, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, get dressed. We have to go. We're late. We're this, when you tell them what to do, it doesn't work. No. But when you are engaged with them in a different way and they're excited about it or they understand what needs to happen, then it's a little smoother. Although mm-hmm. for my daughter more so than my son, right. which we're working on.
1: Right, right.
0: But but, right.
1: Yeah. but the description of what has to happen and engaging them in understanding their part of the journey. Mm. That's where it feels, though the emotions are different, that's where it feels very similar mm-hmm. to leading the company, mm-hmm. right? So I've always believed, and I'm, I'm sure as a, a listener thinks about this, I've always believed that you can take any parenting book and you somewhere in there, parent and leader, you can scratch or rewrite the word because it is a very similar sort of challenge, though you are dealing with, to your point, a very different audience very at times, different, yeah. but the similarity is the asking of the question.
0: I do often try and think back to some of our conversations and some of the practices that I have tried to live with and engage at ALC, and I try to bring it home a hundred percent. I mean, it is. Uh, and it you're right it works it works better when you engage with them than when mm-hmm. you're telling them, telling what, to them do what to do because they just don't listen nope yeah
1: nope we yeah. learned that as kids andrea thank you for pleasure this is walking so fun. me through this and um and there'll be ways for people to find out about your brand that'll all be on the website and uh we've been talking to andrea lieberman on tell me what to say
0: thank you this was so fun